Welcome to Fireside with VoxGig, a podcast for professional and aspiring public speakers. I'm your host, Richard Roger, the founder of VoxGig.com, an online community for speakers and event professionals. We're here to help you get the most out of speaking, organizing, exhibiting, and attending. In each episode, we sit down for an intimate fireside chat with people in the public speaking community to learn how they have mastered the art of getting up on stage and speaking in front of an audience. If you're an aspiring speaker or just want to improve your onstage performance, this podcast will help you learn from some of the most accomplished and interesting professional conference speakers. And finally, before we begin, a quick shout out and thank you to simplecast.com, first and last word in podcasts, who have kindly come on board as our first ever sponsor. In this podcast, I talk to Mike Acker about getting into the right mental framework for delivering a speech in front of an audience. What's great about this discussion is it's not about techniques or all the basic stuff about speaking. It's about what's going on inside your head. And it's not just about deciding to have the right mental attitude. He talks about framing your approach to the problem by giving yourself the mental tools to really be successful on stage. And, you know, I don't often learn something completely new about public speaking, but this is one of those times. I hope you enjoy this discussion as much as I did. Mike, I am delighted to have you here today on the Fireside with Fox Gig podcast, speaking about speaking. And I'm going to jump right in straight away. To speak is something that people have a huge amount of fear of. Absolutely. Yeah. Most people have said they choose death first. <laughs> but there's kind of another layer of fear, which is the main speaker cancels and suddenly your boss asks you to speak. Right. And you haven't anything prepared and you don't know how to do it. You talk about this in your book. So let's just dive right in. Right, right. I come to you. It's five minutes to go. What do I do? Often what happens when you're put on that spot is people panic or they rush through. Uh And so again and again and again, what I talk about with the people I work with in terms of clients and then in books and then elsewhere is to breathe. The first thing to do anytime you're put on the spot is to breathe because a lot of people instantly stop their breath. Mike, will you go ahead and speak? Oh, yeah. And then what that does is that just sets you up for recipe for nervousness. But think about it. When you hyperventilate, what happens? Your heart starts going faster. Your your head gets dizzy. So what I tell people again and again is learn how to breathe. In speaking, so much of the power of speaking comes from breath. So take that deep breath. Breathe in. I feel calmer already. And then (laughs) it does. It does. Yeah. So you're put on the spot. Your boss says, go for it. Take a deep breath. And then here's what I encourage people are getting. And this is not necessarily in the book, but if you learn messaging systems, so think about this Mm -hmm. systems, help you process information quickly. So when you're processing emails, you might have some rules set up so that any email that comes from Richard goes into this box. Any email that comes from Mike goes in this box. Any email that says this goes into this box. It helps you if you're getting hundreds of emails a day to organize them in a way that you can figure. There's other systems that we use all the time, all kinds of processing systems that we use again and again. And it helps take lots of information and put it into a simple to use format. Why don't we do that for speaking? If we get out a way of of responding again and again, that makes it easier for us to process that situation, then we're going to be in a much more confident way. Now, the first part of the system could be that breath. The second part of the system, when you get put on the spot, is to simply do this. 
Thank you for putting me on the spot. <laughs> Thank you for whatever it is that they just asked you. Thank you for asking me that question. Now, what that does is it buys you time for you to process. You took your breath. You think um, your mind is already going. A lot of people, they take that deep breath and then they just start venting. We want to change that system. Take a deep breath instead of that short, shallow, quick breath and take that deep breath, respond with what they said and then use a system that I like to call it the three points. Hmm. So Richard, you put me on the spot. Mike, what do you do when you're put on the spot? Take my deep breath. Well, thank you for asking that question, Richard. I have three thoughts about what you should do at that moment. Often what happens when you say that is you actually don't have three thoughts. Okay. 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 You have a thousand million thoughts. <laughs> Got it. Okay. Okay. But your mind organizes according to the way you tell it to organize. So if you were to tell your kids, put all the blue clothes over there, orange clothes over there, red clothes over there. At first, they're going to look at chaos. But often, instead of organizing in a nice way like that, we just say, organize your clothes. Well, the kids have nothing, no idea what to do. But now when we tell them blue, orange, and red, oh, yeah. then also they have a system. So you do that with your mind. Of course. Right. Yeah. You say, deep breath. Thank you for asking me that question, putting me up in front to say this. Buys you that time to calm your nerves. I have three thoughts on that. And the more you use this system, the more comfortable you get with it. So I encourage you, instead of your mind just going crazy and start making sense out of just the chaos around it, like the kids, teach your mind how to process information in threes. It's natural for us. We like movies like trilogies. We like things that come in threes. Mm -hmm. We love threes. Yeah. So that's a great way to think on the spot. I like it. Yeah. Okay. So let me, let me get this straight. So I'm just going to relate it back to a personal experience. I was in San Francisco years ago with my boss. We were pitching a startup mm -hmm. and I was the techie, right. the super nerdy. This is before I did any public speaking. <laughs> we went to a Mexican restaurant. So these two Irish guys go to a Mexican restaurant. Sounds like a joke. My boss has the really <laughs> spicy thing, whatever it was. And of course he gets tummy trouble. Yep. Yep. So he phones me up the next morning. He's like, you got to do the pitch. I can't leave the hotel room. Oh man. Yeah, it was one of those moments. And exactly that happened, right? Hyperventilating, couldn't think straight. This three-point system, I really love this, right? What I could do with this is, yeah, thanks for asking me. That's awesome for my career. I'm going to talk about three things in the pitch. I'm a three thing or whatever, like the business model, the tech. Right. And I know those things already. Right. It's amazing because, I mean, go back to the kids scenario, right? If you look at a crazy chaotic closet and you say, kids, clean the closet. They don't even know where to start. Should I start with the toys first or the clothes or, or whatever it might be? I remember that as a kid. Mm. But if you say, kids, I want you to separate the clothes from the toys, from the garbage. Now they have three succinct buckets to put things in. Then you say, and now you got the, all the clothes, do it by red, blue, and green, whatever it might be, right? Or, or by shirts, shorts, and shoes. And now all of a sudden, there's, there's a system for them to do it. And what happens when you were put on the spot, immediately, most likely, your mind just reeled to all of the thousands of possibilities of things you could say. But instead, you put it in three. The structure, this system, is this something that, that, that you came up with through your, your speaking coaching? Find it elsewhere? It really came up from, from a lot of my clients asking me, Mike, 
I get how to do a preparation yeah. speech. I get what to do when I have lead time. I'm still nervous, but I get what to do. But when I'm put on the spot, again and again, our clients, we, we run several different programs for people. And a lot of people in the tech industry come through these. So I was telling you earlier that I just did a huge workshop for Adobe yesterday. Tons of people in that, in that tech space. Mm. And again and again, people say, what do I do when I'm put on the spot? So we started training towards this. And what I did is I first analyzed, what do I do when I'm put on the spot? And I've noticed that again and again, again, I breathe deeply. I respond by saying the same thing that they asked me about. And then I go into a three different buckets. And, and here's what happens. Your, your mind, as soon as you say three, it's like, oh, okay, now I know what to do. I don't have to say 15 different things. How do I speak off the cuff? Okay, three things. Breathe. Okay, that's important. Buy some time. Okay, that's important. And respond with three. Even what you did with me by putting me on the spot and giving yeah. me a question that you and I didn't talk <laughs> is exactly what I did yeah. in a response. And, and then when you say those three, your mind is amazing, right? Your mind can organize according to how you tell it to organize. Now, it might be a little bit choppy at first when I work with this on one-on-one -on -one with people and we record it and play it back to them. They, they, they feel a little bit embarrassed because it's choppy at first, but as you get used to it, just like any muscle, you get more and more comfortable with responding that way. I love this. This is super useful. This happened to me, right? And this, this happens to a lot of people, especially in tech is you do a few conference talks or webinars these days and your boss goes, Oh, wonderful. Yeah. This guy or girl can do public speaking. Yeah. Yeah. And then you get jumped on, you get volunteered for things with no preparation. Right. That's what happened. So the problem is you climb that first rung of the ladder and they're like, oh, you need to be on the roof already. So this is super useful. It's also useful because the other thing that happens to every speaker, it's going to happen to you absolutely guaranteed is the projector will not work and there are no slides. Right. And you're standing up there right. and you got to do something. Yeah. In fact, when it comes to slides and so, so funny, you know, working with Adobe yesterday, all these designers, so oh, yeah. Yeah. they, they have, you know, there, there was a whole team of different groups of people in there, but one of the things is they're really well known for their design uh -huh. and, and a lot of artistic people. And when I was walking through the, the workshop with them, I said, don't rely on the presentation. So I'm a firm believer that any time that you're going to give a talk, anytime. And you know that you know that you know you have a slide deck or you have props or you have workbooks or you have anything. I'm a firm believer that any time you get ready to speak, you should be prepared to do it without the presentation, just the same. Mm -hmm. And partly because of the technical problems that come with it, but also because you don't want to practice with a crutch. So if I mean, I, I love playing soccer, right? Or football, as I grew up calling it in Mexico. But I love playing, playing soccer and going out there and I'll, I'll be doing it tonight with my son. But if I learned how to play soccer and the whole entire time I was leaning on a crutch and I was able to kick the ball with the crutch or if I was bowling and all yeah. the time I played with the bumper lanes or whatever other sport that we do that with. And then all of a sudden you get that removed, like you're bowling without the bumper lanes. That's harder. You're, you're playing that sport without that handicap. That's harder. And, and when we prepare to speak, 
and we're always relying on the presentation slides, we are setting ourselves up to practice with the bumper, practice with the crutch, and then potentially get it taken away. You're much, much stronger preparing as though you don't have any slides, any workbooks, any aids, and you're just presenting. And then everything else becomes additional strength, not something that you need for strength. A lot of the techniques you're talking about here, it occurs to me, are based more on the right mental positioning and that right mental perspective rather than any specific skill. One of the points, and I think you discussed this in, in your your book, Speak With No Fear, is that the skills of speaking are one thing, but the mental preparation or the mental perspective is as or perhaps more important. Yeah, absolutely. So really, ultimately, confidence and communication comes through three different sources. This is the whole base of all my coaching that I do. And I am working on the book that specifically goes along with this. Uh So when it comes to speaking, you have skill work, you have mental work, and then you have heart work or identity work or internal work. And all three of those come together. Oh, okay. Walk me through these. Yeah. These sound good. Yeah. So internal work is this identity aspect, right? Where this is who am I as a speaker? And then the messaging aspect is everything that's going on in terms of organizing your thought, putting together the flow, and then making sure they're picking up what you put down. And then the third part of skills, techniques, tricks, everything that you do external. Mm. So a lot of people, when they come to me initially to to work with me, and we have clients around the world, we have clients in the UK, we have clients in um, all over in Central Europe and in Africa and Asia and all across the United States and Australia as well. So all over the place, again and again, people ask for delivery tricks, delivery skills. So Mike, teach me how to articulate, teach me how to reduce my accent, teach me how Mm. to connect with my audience in this way. Teach me how to do this. Now, your confidence will definitely increase when you increase your skill. And we work on that. There's over 20 skills in, in the program. We have some online course that's part of it. And there's over 20 skills that we talk through and we teach. And I do workshops with companies on just increasing skills. So that's important. But it's not the end-all be-all. There is the messaging aspect, organizing your thoughts so that you don't ramble. Organizing your thoughts so it's coherent, concise, that people can pick it up. But there's also this identity piece. And this is the hardest one because when you ask, what is identity? (laughs) The explanation is pretty vague. But identity is everything that you consider yourself to be when you get up there. And so many people, when they go up on stage, have already told themselves that they're not a good speaker. Right. And as a result, they often live up to their own verbiage. It's like this. If I go out today and I'm playing soccer with my son and I say, Paxton, you're going to do awful and I don't believe in you. You're a worthless soccer player and this is going to be miserable to watch. Just watch his spirit sag, right? Yeah. Just watch him drop. Or if every single night I say that. And sometimes people do that over their kids. They say these kind of things. But on the other hand, If you go out there and go, man, I just love watching you play. I love how hard you work. And this is the type of thing I try to do. I'm sure there's times where I don't do it very well. I try to to speak those kind of things over my son. Hey, I love watching you play. You're smart. You're intelligent. Well, guess what? He starts viewing himself through my lens. And so as a result, he starts acting out that identity that I'm sharing over him. I was just reading a book the other day um, by a Scottish guy, uh, John Bishop, I think his name is. Mm. 
and he talks about how how to unf your life or something like that. <laughs> yeah, that's that's Scottish. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and it really picked up on some of that same thought about this. What's going on in your mind? And so much of of speaker confidence or speaker nervousness and insecurity comes from this internal aspect of what we're dealing with. Yeah, it's so important. Kind of reminds me that the first time I met someone who was reasonably famous, right? And I'm not talking about like celebrity. I'm just talking about famous in my industry or whatever. And you suddenly realize they're just a normal person. Right. And there's no, okay, maybe they've done some, some interesting things, but they're not like a higher being. <laughs> they're just a person. Right. And it's possible for anybody to do that sort of thing, including public speaking. It's attainable. Yeah. And it's vital for people to, to grab a hold of that. And I was recently working with this architect and he's got incredible work all around the world. And he's just really an amazing man. And he's working through this and he's very nervous about his presentation that's coming up and it's going to be broadcast to, to thousands of people. And so we're working on this together. And, and afterwards, he just, he's just a little bit frustrated. He's like, I just, I'm so, I, I just can't get my mind there essentially. And, and after he said that, I was talking to another client right afterwards, and we were talking about something similar about the mind game of speaking. And she was talking about running. And I thought, man, you just, you just hit it. So I, I reached back out to my client because he's a big, huge marathon runner mm. and he, he loves running. And I just said, Hey, I want you to think about this like running. And the moment I did it, it clicked because running also has those three elements to it. There are some skills to it, you know, how to hold your hands, how to hold your body, right. how to posture yourself. There is definitely skill and muscle work, obviously. If you don't have the muscles, you're not going to be able to run a certain amount. But there's also a whole bunch of knowledge that goes with it. So that messaging aspect. And then there's this internal aspect. There's this mental dialogue. So much of running is pushing through the wall and the barrier and convincing yourself that you can. Any great marathon runner has a strong mental fortitude for running. And if we can teach ourselves and train ourselves to have a strong mental fortitude, it goes a long way towards having that confidence in communication. That's an interesting way to put it, right? Teaching or training yourself to have that. Because a lot of people would, would come back straight away and they'd be, oh, well, well that's, you know, you're born, you, you're either born with it or you're not. You either have it or you don't. Yeah, absolutely. There are some people who have natural proclivities towards what will lead to great speaking. But that's true of every single thing. There's some people that are more mathematically wired and others who are more verbally wired. Some are more wired towards swimming or wired towards this. You throw me into a, a singing group and I just have no, no wiring for it. But it doesn't mean that without a lot of hard work, I can't get better. In fact, at one point in time, I was in a musical and I had to train myself for six months just to sing the six songs. And I did well, but I'm not wired that way. Yeah. I had to learn it. I had to really, really learn it. That was a hard one because no one in my family sings. So just like I could learn that, you can learn how to get out there in front and speak and speak with, with a degree of excellence, whether it's eight, nine, or 10, I'm not quite sure, but you're going to be able to do it just like I can do it. Now, I'm never going to get a 10 in singing, but man, for those six songs, after six months, I got an eight, a couple of the nights of performance. <laughs> yeah, you hit the mark. 
And there are some people though. Yeah. And there are some people who are just better period. And there are other people. I mean, if you're comparing yourself with someone who sings extremely well, then that person, they need less work to get there. And there are some people who are going to need less work to get to be a great public speaker than you do, but you can do it. And so much insecurity comes through that comparison game. Oh yeah. So I tell people, Hey, I get it that that person might have that natural proclivity, just like whatever singer has better natural proclivity. Michael Bublé got a much more natural proclivity towards singing than I do, but I can't compare myself and be insecure when I'm talking with him. And, And I don't need to try to put myself on that same stage. Be on your stage, not on their stage. Be in your life, not in their life. <laughs> now I'm just yeah. motivational speaking right now. <laughs> <laughs> the next um, person up in the conference is not going to be like Winston Churchill and stuff. Right. It's just going to be a normal person like you. Since we're talking about mental stuff, let, let's talk about this fear thing, right? Because it's in the title of your book. Yep. Are you still afraid when you go up on stage? Were you afraid before? Yeah. This is also kind of asking for, uh, this is kind of a little autobiographical, right? How, how did you end up as a speaker? Yes. I'm always afraid speaking. Always. Hmm. But it's not the, it's not the level 10 fear that paralyzes you. It's, it's a level two or a level one fear. And really fear is on a spectrum from, from zero to 10. We're afraid of different things. It's just how much we let that fear go and how much we embrace that fear and whether we grow that fear or whether we don't grow that fear. And, and on a level one, I'm afraid of the dark as well. <laughs> uh, you your of, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, what's in the dark, right? What's yeah. going on? I, yeah. What am I going to step on the Legos that are all around the house? Right. So there, oh, there's yeah. a little bit of nervousness or anxiety in a lot of areas, but really you want your fear of speaking to be at a one, two, three, which then is not, incapacitating it's energizing see right. on the flip side of fear is energy i write that in the book so in, in speak with no fear i talk about how your fear you don't want to get rid of it you want to use it you want to convert it you want to channel that power because that's what it is oh yeah now when it's six seven eight nine ten it doesn't feel like power it just feels like you're being electrocuted it feels awful so decrease it so that you can then switch it and use it. So for me, I grew up in in a family where my mom helped me in elementary school, get up in front and present. It wasn't something I wanted to do. It was something she trained me to do. So I got okay comfortable getting up in front of people. There were some times where I was quite nervous, even getting up in front of the 15 people in my class in elementary school. And then I went to Mexico. So I grew up in the United States in Washington And then at age 11, I moved down to Mexico right as I was turning 11. And my parents threw me into a school, into a public school. Spanish speaking? Yeah, Spanish speaking. Wow. I was the only blonde haired, blue eyed, white, tall, gangly, braced kid in the school. Only one with constantly pink skin. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing though. What a life experience. It was definitely a life experience. That's an understatement. There's all kinds of stories. At one point in time, my dad dropped me off. Like literally, literally. So I was actually the one who said, Hey, you should put me in a school. But I was thinking like a nice cozy private school, Uh like my friend had done. And a lot of those people did speak some English. So my dad had this acquaintance that 
was a public school teacher and we're talking inner city public school. So my dad one day drives me there, brings me in and he goes, says, I'm going to go speak to the principal because he spoke Spanish. We're going to talk about whether we can enroll you in the last three months of the school year. But if you don't want to, you don't have to. So I'm out there. My dad's talking to the principal. My dad can just talk forever. And he's yeah. just chatting it up, chatting it up in Spanish. He's having a great time. And, and you know, no bureaucracy in the, in the early 1990s and 1991, right? No, no red tape. No paperwork. So I'm, nothing. It's just, no paperwork. Yeah. I'm out there with my baggy clothes because I listen to Rum DMC and, and uh, you know, the, the impending alternative grunge scene. And so as I'm there, the entire school gets out of class to come stare at me. And we're oh, talking wow. like 300 kids and teachers. And they <laughs> made like a 20 foot ring around me oh, wow. where I backed up to the wall and they're, they're staring at me and they're saying, what's your name? Which means what's your name? <laughs> and they would send <laughs> emissaries to come touch me and run away. And so I'm thinking wow. to myself, right? Like, heck no, there's no way I'm staying here. No way. So was this in uh, like Mexico city or, or was it somewhere? Uh, this more? is uh, in the inner city Mazalan. Where is that? Which is a coastal town. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like a tourist town now. And it always has been tourist, but there's areas that are very much not touristy. And now pretty much everybody's seen an American. But back then, I mean, there was two theaters with a total of two screens in the the entire city. It took like six months for an American movie to get to screen. And so I was very, very lightly influenced. And, And so my dad comes out and says, all right, Mike, see you later. (laughs) <laughs> and in no joke wow. just drives away. And there I am for the rest of the day. And then I had to figure out how to get home. And then, uh, so talk about fear. Yeah. For the yeah, next, okay. for the next five years, I would get up in front of people in the classes. I did switch over to a private school and I get up and people would laugh. So for a while, you were practicing public speaking in Spanish. Yeah. A second yeah. language. Wow. Yeah. And, and I, I butchered it. So, I sounded hilarious. I'm talking like, I can't put my sentences together. I'm using swear words accidentally and speeches. And then I'm getting in trouble. I, I got known as a class clown. I wasn't trying to be funny. <laughs> I just, this is a survival just, strategy. Yeah. And so then I embraced it. Right. And then I embraced the rebellious kid thing, which was just was not me, but here I had to learn that. And eventually I got through that nervousness and it got to a level of confidence and comfort and, and actually went through a little bit of counseling when I was in you know, my high school years after getting bullied and some things. And I eventually got to a spot where really I embraced it. In fact, I, I love, love those, those latter years in Mexico. And I have friends I still talk to today. My best friend for life is uh, someone who that grew up in Mexico with me. He now lives in, in England, but but I, I mean, I love that. So I turned it around, but then I went to college and had to find a new place again. And now I'm up in front of people who now are a different culture because I've become Mexican in culture. So, so again and again in elementary school and then middle school and high school and then college, I had to learn how to conquer my fear, which is something that a lot of my clients really appreciate. I'm not the person who just naturally had it all together and is perfect in communication yeah. now. I'm someone who has been where they are and has gotten to where they want to get. Yeah. And as a coach, of course, that's really powerful. Right. Absolutely. We don't want a coach that just, it just yeah. comes natural to them. Yeah. It's funny. Cause I mean, we, we've, I mean, we've spoken, we've spoken to a lot of speakers on this podcast. I mean, there has been one or two who, who have said, yeah, 
I was just born this way. I just jumped on the stage, no problem, never had a problem with it. I mean, that's okay. That's amazing. But it's, it's kind of less sure. useful for some mere mortals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are definitely some people who have that in, in anything, right? You hear about the person who the first time they get on the bike, they learn how to ride. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's most every other kid. So that's great for that kid. That's great for that family. But it's just not the reality for most people. Yeah. And we want to learn from someone who had to learn what we're learning. So in my in my Speak With No Fear book, I, I talk a lot about things that that I I use, that I think about. These are these are seven strategies that I use on a regular basis when I'm speaking. Yeah. When it comes to personal experience like this, it's it it is I think it is more useful. And particularly this this idea that a lot of people think that if you learn just the skills, that's it. Okay, go. <laughs> right. But then people find it isn't enough and they still feel inadequate. Right. As a speaker. Yeah, absolutely. And there's so much like one of the things I I really like about probably one of my favorite things in the entire book that I wrote was in speaking. One of the ways to speak with no fear is to learn how to be yourself. And I call this the strategy is simply called UBU. And the reason I like it is because I've seen so many people try to channel what they think they should be like. So they have this picture of their boss, or they have this picture of a mentor, they have a picture of a teacher in their life. And so instead of being themselves with their own uniquenesses, with their own strengths, with their own oddities, they try to be like somebody else. And and this happens again and again. So even often as part of my assessment, I'll say, who is someone that you really like to listen to? And sometimes the people that they talk about are these mega names. And then I'll say, what do you learn from them? And they'll say some of it. And then we'll do their assessment where they're actually talking to me and giving me a speech. And I'm finding out their baseline. And I'll see how they're trying to emulate that person. Well, when you try to emulate, when you try to be like someone else, that takes away from a lot of the strengths that you do in your own speaking. Now, you can always improve yourself, but you should be yourself. And there's a whole aspect that we take people through to get there. But you be you is such a powerful, powerful way of defeating fear and finding confidence. Yeah, because I mean, if you're, if you're if that's a strategy now, now you're trying to be an actor as well as, as well as public speaking, which is kind of it's kind of hard. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. I'm going to end with uh, one of my favorite questions, which is okay. So you're a speaking coach. You've done a lot of talks, all that sort of stuff. But take us through what you learned from that one talk that was a complete catastrophe that just went totally wrong for you. Yeah. It's not the end of the world. And and it actually became one of the strategies in my book. Imagine the worst. Now, a lot of people don't like to imagine the worst, but I gave a speech to the entire college. It was, I thought it was going to be amazing and all of those different things. And I was nervous going into it, but then I mean, I failed it so, so, so miserably to the point where the president of the school had to put his hand on my shoulder to keep me from, from, I don't know, passing out or something. Oh, wow. And probably to the majority of people, they didn't notice this, but I kind of got walked off stage (laughs) and I was (laughs) so embarrassed and, and so mortified. And, you know, should I switch schools and all those things? But you know what? No one said great job because I didn't do a great job. No one signed up for what I was advocating for because I was not very convincing, but you know what? didn't hurt my job prospects. It didn't hurt, didn't destroy my family. 
It didn't ruin my health other than that moment that I was there. And often the worst that could really happen is a minor setback that you could lose that, that sale. You could lose a little bit of rapport. Okay. You can get that back. So imagine the worst is something that I walked away from. So when I'm, when I'm super nervous about anything that's going on in life, I think through you know, what really is the worst. And sometimes when you really come down to it, the worst is a little bit loss of pride. Yeah. Which I think we can all do with a little bit less pride. <laughs> we can all live with that. So, I mean, that's a powerful mental strategy as well, right? Just, just think through the worst that can happen. And you're right, your pride take it, takes a hit, but yeah. you're still alive. You still get up in the morning. You still have your family. Yep. And life moves on. Life moves on. Well, it is time for life to move on for us as well. This has been super, super fun and, and really useful, actually. That mental perspective stuff. I like it. Yeah. It's a super useful technique. Thank you so much, Mike. Thanks for having me on your podcast. And uh, I'm glad that we were able to connect. Wonderful stuff. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. Just a few things before the embers fade and we wrap up another episode of the Fireside with VoxGig podcast. You can find notes and links from this podcast at voxgig.com slash podcasts. We also publish a weekly newsletter on public speaking, selecting the best advice and techniques from some of the world's greatest speakers, both ancient and modern. Rhetoric is an old and revered art, not especially easy to master, but a skill like any other, and one you can also learn. Visit voxgig.com slash speakers to subscribe. If you've enjoyed this fireside chat, please consider subscribing to our podcast. Please also leave a review that helps us make this podcast even better. If you'd like to contact me directly, please email me, richard at voxgig.com. If you'd like to be counted as a supporter, just let me know and I'll add you to our supporters page. And one final reminder to check out our sponsor, simplecast.com who help make this podcast possible till next time remember take a deep breath pause and step forward